Hello everyone. Thanks for joining. I guess this is our first episode in the new year. So happy new year. I know it's a bit late in the January, but it's still the first month of the year. So excited to be here with uh, one of my good friend, Akansha. Welcome back and happy to see you and hear you from here. I know it's been a while and I think it's just, I forget every time I do this, I'm like, it's been so long. I forgot how to do this, but like, we're back. We're getting ready to get kickstarted again. I'm really, really excited about this episode. I am too. Uh, you may have seen the, the name of the topic. So this time we are going to hit it from the different angles. So we're going to be going to be discussing about AI in couple therapy, which is sound juicy and exciting. I'm super excited to be introducing to you our guests for this session, Berkan and Baki. I'll let them to introduce themselves. Uh, over to you, Berkan. Hello, uh, I'm Berkan. I am a software engineer. Um, and I have recently written a study on um, AI and how it can be applied in very surprising ways, interesting ways, very human ways. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you today. Awesome. Welcome. And I know we're kind of colleagues I mean, uh, working in the same organization, but I'm excited to have you as a guest. Baki, um, you're Berkant's supervisor in university, so I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us about yourself. Thank you, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a senior lecturer at School of Computer Science at UTS. Uh, I work with Barkan. I prefer that over supervising, so we work together on this project. He led it, and I, you know, in a way, you know, provided some advice, let's say, uh, and then, uh, very briefly, I do research on human AI interaction through conversational user interfaces. And uh, I usually uh, ask my students to pick topics around this area. And Berkan, you know, went ahead and defined this very cool uh, project area by himself. And then we continued with this um, study. Very happy to be here. That's awesome. Super excited to have you both here with us. As you know, our podcast is surrounded with eight different topics around AI. So I'm excited to be tackling it from different aspects. So with that, I want to see what was the reasoning behind uh, this topic and then this research that you two started working on. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it began with just exploring the domain of study, really. Uh, AI is surprisingly a very uh, human field as well as technologically interesting. So um, human computer interaction has shown that uh, technology can solve and is actively solving human problems um, from mental ailments to healthcare. Uh, there's so many various studies on this. Um, but one particular field that I saw only a very small handful, even like maybe a couple of papers in was um, relationships and relationship health. Uh, I was surprised by that because relationships are really some of the most human experiences we have. And so um, <clears throat> I wanted to see what was there. And uh, yeah, some studies have shown AI and couple therapy can be effective. Uh, and I just wanted to, with Baki, extend the research on that. Um, it's a problem area about like, I, from memory, like 50, 
6,000 divorces or so were granted in Australia alone in one year. And so that's an alarming number. So if we can use technology to benefit um, and provide sort of more uh, accessible ways to uh, maybe mitigate that relationship dissolution will be really uh, a rewarding study. 100%. Now I'm, I'm super excited. I wonder if this can help couples problem, I guess. It can assist with resolving some of the conflicts. Um, that's interesting. Has there uh, been any, like you mentioned, Berkan, um, was there any specific um, like chat, like agent already in the market that uses this for Tropy or this is something new that you tackled in? Uh, so there have been some papers that research. have explored it, um, mm -hmm. researcher papers, yes, that have had into, um, that have had uh, conversational agents that provide this uh, using fully automated methods. Um, but they were very focused, like one was for uh, people with PTSD, I believe. And um, so they do exist. It definitely mm. can be built. It can be extended with technology. Uh, our study was more so to sort of see if it's a suitable approach. Um, I should add here that the uniqueness we added with our study was whether or not it can be provided individually, meaning it's couple therapy. Do both parties have to be present? Could I drop oh. in as a single person um, and sort of get some therapy for myself about my relationship. That's sort of the, um, of what we tried to look at. That's very interesting. And I guess the more personalized experience you get, the more like um, you can relate with as, an, as a user. So that's Absolutely. very interesting. Hmm. It was actually, um, um, sorry, <laughs> it was actually one of the um, findings we had is that more personalized, uh, more personalized responses are a lot more effective at giving great experiences um, with AI and human-computer interaction in this particular field. I was going to like lean the conversation a bit towards what's already happening, I guess, in the market. I know you touched on it a bit and that it kind of exists, hasn't. Baki, maybe you could touch on this in terms of how far this has already gone um, in terms of interactions with patients and how what has the reaction and to been um with people because i think it'd be really really interesting i mean i know what i'm there's certain chats that i'm like oh this chat button okay well and this one is questionable um i've had fairly nuanced experiences with them but it'd be really really interesting to hear about that kind of experience with people um if you have anything to share around that um so as barkan said i think it, there are a number of uh, research studies using a custom built agents but uh, they were not uh, commercially publicly released uh, there are general purpose mental health aids or you know uh, applications you know mental health support applications uh, you may benefit from them but based on my own knowledge there are no you know tools publicly available specifically focusing on providing support for couples uh, and their relationship. You may get help and advice, I think, with your routine uh, mental health 
uh, interactions with an application covering maybe relationship matters. But yeah, in our case, it was a very focused, uh, you know, solution uh, targeting at you know helping with relationship problems. Uh, so that was, a, as far as I know, there might be you know this is a very rapidly, you know, advancing field. There may be some may public available, but I don't think that exists for now uh, currently. But for mental health in general, there are definitely. I mean, I can definitely see this making it so much more accessible. Like even in Australia, I mean, there's, I know there's people who listen to this outside of it. Like Australia is fairly well adapted to getting mental health. Um, like it, don't get me wrong, it's not an easy process, but there is a process and there is help to get it. And there is Medicare Absolutely. and subsidies and stuff. But and with this, this helps definitely make it a lot more accessible, I think, in that context where people can come and get Absolutely, help. Absolutely, yeah. A lot more kind of like a, I don't have to talk to a person straight away. Um, but <laughs> is that also going to be a hindrance, do you think, in the sense of, I don't want to talk to a computer about this. Uh, that's going to store all my data and make decisions. How do you see, like, is that something that's already been considered or is that something you foresee being a problem? Uh, do you want to go back on or? Uh, yeah, I can jump in here. Uh, so it's actually one of the interesting highlights of the study was exactly what you mentioned is um, how can we have, we actually, so we actually received two different signals on the same topic here. One of them is that um, the intervention provided empathetic human alternative sort of experiences. And the other one, the other one was that it was too robotic, was too impersonal. And so we actually got signals for both. Um, what we concluded from that was uh, it's actually a challenge area. If we make uh, these interventions more personalized, what happens is that it begin it can begin to sort of stray away from a systematic and methodical psychotherapy approach like cognitive behavioral therapy, which we used uh, for couples in this particular study. So finding that balance between personalization um, and also methodical approach is very difficult uh, and needs further study. What we did find definitely was that an agent which possesses empathy and provides empathy uh, in a relevant way to participants was very much an important factor in suitability here. There are a few things I may add very briefly. Uh, the research shows uh, if people have different reactions and expectations uh, from these technologies. Some people actually prefer to talk with, uh, you know, a, an artificial agent instead of a human being. They feel more comfortable with doing that for a variety of reasons. Whereas some people feel like, ah, oh, this is quite, you know, artificial. You know, I don't feel like. Uh, I'm understood or, you know, I'm listened to, it is too mechanical, etc. So that's one side. There are also, you know, some research showing that uh, if doctors believe these agents actually can show better empathy than some of the doctors can do. So because, you know, they've seen so such worse cases where, you know, maybe 
out of you know burned out or other reasons, uh, people may not show the you know suitable amount of empathy towards the you know patients. But these agents, you know, they don't get tired. They 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 are quite you know good at detecting various clues, etc. So they may be better at showing empathy, which is usually a quality preserved for humans, you know, or thought to be. So those are the kind of interesting developments currently. I think that's such an interesting point, especially, again, very Australian context, but like I know for a fact, it, I mean, the amount of people that have gone seeking for help having gone through the lockdowns because it was they were just sitting in their own problems. They're like, actually, I'm not okay. I covered everything up before lockdown because I was busy and now I'll have to deal with this. I'm like, it's the same thing as like all the healthcare professionals have gone through such burnout over the last couple of years. The same has gone for mental health. And that's a really, really interesting point you raise. And I think alongside, you mentioned something there, which AI is not meant to be a one-off solution. It is there as a complement to everything else which is exactly the answer there's people who would prefer this there's people who won't and this helps alleviate a lot of the problems i really like that fact thank you <laughs> that's awesome to hear taking a step back because um some of our listeners might not know what cognitive behavioral therapy is can you tell us a little bit on what it is uh, i read your paper so kind of i kind of understand it but i guess it would be good to maybe um share uh, what it is in like a one or two minutes not take a yeah time, absolutely but... <laughs> um i wouldn't say i know more than one or two minutes worth so i'm definitely not an expert on this but <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially um a method of psychotherapy which is um very classic very much uh has been used in studies and in actual practice uh it's very problem focused um what it tries to do is is identify certain core beliefs we have about ourselves. So uh, Albert Ellis, who pioneered this uh, this approach, said that we have core beliefs about ourselves, and these core beliefs lead us to behave in certain ways, and those behaviors cause certain consequences. And what we've taken is we've uh, adapted this into a couple's context. And so what we have is individuals who have core beliefs about themselves, uh, they get are triggered somehow, a behavior is triggered by some activating event outside of themselves. And this mm -hmm. leads them to behave and do certain things to or with their partner or surrounding their partner. And this leads to conflict as a consequence. So what, uh, how we sort of use this in our intervention is uh, follow this conversational flow, identify some core beliefs as much as we can as further as we can um, and try to recommend ways to alleviate those core beliefs affecting us so much. That way, if we're individually more healthy, we are also healthy as a couple. That's sort of a very condensed version of CBT. There's a huge amount more to it that um, I wouldn't say I'm qualified to talk about, but um, yes, it's I guess attached to that, just one of the questions, like I had a question of, I know you've mentioned intervention a few times throughout this, that this is at an intervention level. Where exactly does that come in, in a problem state example? Like how early on do you try and be an intervention into problems, I guess, in terms of couple therapy? Mm -hmm. If that question makes sense. <laughs> That's a very convoluted question. Could you clarify a little bit more? Yeah, so you mentioned that the, uh, the whole problem, the, the, 
I guess the tool solution that you're working towards is almost an intervention step, right? Like that you're getting in there to start helping couples solve problems and stuff. At yeah. what stage of a problem or when they've figured out that there is a problem, like where does that exactly fit in um, the AI part, I guess? Yeah, uh, well, the flow of at least our um, therapy that we've provided to participants is mostly user initiated. And so mm. what happens is um, the conversational agent essentially asks for an activating event. So that's first step of CBT of the ABC model. And it tries to you know, get someone to say, oh, my girlfriend is out uh, not spending time with me and this makes me very upset or something like this. And so from there, uh, the intervention sort of begins where we sort of begin to probe a little further and find sort of uh, hints of those core beliefs that come from that activating events and then lead to some recommendations. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's essentially at least how our study sort of. No, completely um, fair that it's based on when people decide they want to use the product. That makes sense. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. I think this is very interesting because the initial point, I guess the trigger point will be by user and then at some point the agent or will can, kind of intervene to provide the right answer based on the interaction that is getting from the user. So it's interesting at some point. So it's kind of a manage intervention to some extent which makes it interesting. And I guess there's a lot of data can, like, that can be captured that will help both sides, therapies as well as the help seeker. So I guess that's a very interesting thing to see that is going toward that direction. I mean, speaking of that, I guess we've seen that many other like um, um, app apps are there. For example, the wellness app that we've got on our smartwatch that kind of proven to be useful to to their users, it depends on the usage. Some people track their activities, some people track their like sleep, some people track theirs. Anything that they found it pretty useful to use those sort of um, um, maybe add-on application. Do you see anything in near future coming up as a digital assistant for couples with therapist um, to kind of help to fix or maybe strengthen their relationship? Okay, maybe that's more of a question too. Do you see more research? happening in this area? Uh, absolutely. So with, with a recent research uh, with the tracking applications, uh, we you know, showed that use of these applications to track you know, physical activity it actually increases your daily step count amount. So there, is, there was a significant uh, evidence on that. So we can imagine. So there are all the applications that allow you to track your mood you know, on a daily mm. basis. So I can imagine, right, a similar to, you know, act, physical activity, perhaps, you know, there might be some improvements on your, you know, overall mood, at least, let's say, based on your usage and also reflections on your own mood, what, what has happened in your life. Uh, that's possible. Uh, in, in particularly related to uh, couples therapy, uh, yeah, that's that might be a bit more complicated. I would say uh, there can be some room similar to our approach, where a uh, you know more individual oriented, uh, you know, resolution to couples therapy while while you are reflecting on your activities, moves in relation to events, 
you know, true that you may actually recognize some patterns, some uh, mm. potential issues, and then perhaps that could trigger uh, some sort of, you know, maybe CBT-based sessions. Uh, so there might be some sort of proactive uh, mechanism based on the patterns or can be a, you know, dialogical, uh, you know, interaction between you and app. So I can see that happening, but yeah, in a more individual uh, therapy focused and yeah, but we can expect, I believe similar results from mood tracking. I can imagine lots of like use cases. I was just thinking while you were explaining that, okay, it would be nice if I have an app to tell me every day if I'm not, if I'm not feeling all right, they can kind of recommend to me, okay, avoid these kind of situation or don't engage in these kind of conversation to kind of help me prevent some of the chaos they, that's they happening. Can, uh, they, yeah, based on your past data, right? Of course, you know, all right, based, you know, we, you know, we, we think that, you know, uh, this sort of activities, you know, can cause some stress on you. You know, this, this is possible through, you know, analysis and then be prepared or I don't know, something like that. So that's definitely, I think, uh, quite possible. That is very exciting. I can't wait to see when it's out. That'll be so handy. It's like, Katja, you haven't slept yeah. enough to be dealing with this today. Go back to bed. Like, I would appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe don't do that today. <laughs> Work from home. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> the one thing I think is usually a, a must to talk about is definitely privacy matters, particularly, you know, this kind of very sensitive uh, information, personal information, health information. So with AI, they usually run on cloud servers and you know, your information is actually sent to somewhere in the cloud process. And uh, currently, you know, cybersecurity, you know, measures seem like quite insufficient, lots of hacks, right, uh, leaks. And that is really a big concern, I think. Uh, mm. against using, although, you know, there are huge benefits to be gained, uh, there is still a long way to, you know, ensure, you know, safety of exactly. our personal data. So, yeah, that's something to actually address. There is yeah. a lot of, yeah, okay. there is a lot of consideration and that, like, any suggestion that given to the user might not be like, so... I guess there's many concerns. So we talk about AI, like trades of AI. So we have to make sure that it's it's put in a good use and doesn't cause harm than benefits to the user. So yes, I understand. There, so there we is, need to do more is, research. To... There is one recent example. Uh, there is a mental health service named Coco. And it, this is a service actually bringing together uh, people with mental health problems with volunteers, both are real humans. And the system matched them based on uh, their profile and request. And then the volunteers help with their, uh, you know, problems. They mostly supportive listening based on uh, based uh, service. But recently, this service, without telling users, uh, provide used uh, GPT-based uh, service to res provide responses to, you know, people with mental health problems without getting their consent and then analyze results, et cetera, and show that oh, people actually highly rated, you know, AI-generated responses over uh, human-generated ones. So 
the responses were not fully AI generated. So they were created by AI, but then edited by volunteers and then post by volunteers. But still, you know, this has to be, you know, clearly communicated. Yeah. So yeah, companies definitely can do it. And, you know, we rely on them, but yeah, privacy, safety, still a bit, yeah, Wild West yeah. situation, unfortunately. Especially with healthcare compliance, so many things involved. No, 100%. But it's, it's, it's a good starting point, I guess. And I can see it's going like places. It's a very good initiative. So speaking of that, do you think um, the tools like ChatGPT that has become pretty popular in the past month or so is going to make a positive impact on these kind of trophies or do you see that it could be dangerous at the same time? Uh, very briefly, then I'll give it to Rakan. With any kind of technology, you know, it, it can have, you know, positive and negative uh, effects. Uh, I am on the positive side, but definitely we need to take, you know, very, we need to be very cautious about it. But it's it's been already being used currently. So, yeah. for example, I recently read a, a magazine article and a patient, you know, actually transcribed his conversations with his, you know, uh, psychologist and then he asked ChatGPT to summarize their session and then discuss the main points with his psychologist again. So look, there can be interesting use cases. So uh, and it's already happening and, you know, therapists can use it, the patients can use it. So uh, it, 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 it has some problems currently, like, you know, it can hallucinate, it can give uh, inaccurate information, etc. as possible. But yeah, it has huge potential, definitely. And yeah, we'll see, you know, more and more, you know, interesting and exciting cases. Okay. True. Uh, yeah, I, just, I completely agree. And I pro could probably add that with more powerful tools that use more powerful data, um, everything becomes more important. Uh, of course, privacy becomes more important, what it does. So uh, vulnerabilities, I've seen ChatGPT do some crazy things like find vulnerabilities in existing banking systems. And uh, <laughs> so with healthcare, it has to be very much moderated and um, you have to be uh, mindful of, um, you know, that this is patient data. I like thought it was heading towards the great risk with great power comes great responsibilities. But I think, I mean, from the sound, like I know people have been talking about the randomest use cases for ChatGPT, and I think that's an upcoming episode now. I've just decided, I'm like, somewhere down the future, that's going to happen because it's just the most bizarre use cases that are coming through with it now. But um, I guess as a wrap up of a question, especially because this is such a you want to say niche it's not really niche but it's such a topic that no i mean i never thought about the fact that ai would be in therapy in the first place but is there something that maybe we haven't touched on that you want to mention or even we have touched on you're like hey this is important please listen to this part um that you want to tell the listeners about ai in couples therapy um as a final point <laughs> um i'd love to add that um 
I'm by no means an AI expert. I know the absolute surface level of this technology. And uh, it's interesting. Like you, you can study these things and find very useful things that are actually very valuable without needing to necessarily be an expert. And um, uh, I, I would encourage more students of AI to uh, explore what they can create because this is the time to uh, really explore the limits of technology. We have so much in our hands now. Um, we're accessing the underlying power of data like we've never accessed before. And this can be very beneficial for so many different ways. Like, um, <clears throat> yeah, surprisingly human. <laughs> That's all I like to say. Absolutely, yeah, I'm on the same, uh, you know, side as back and so I think we need to embrace it. they are here to stay anyway and you know we are having a similar dilemma in education you know you, you possibly read about like you know what if students use it to you know you know uh, do their homework assignments etc what do we do how do we detect it should we ban it or not look I'm on the side like we need to embrace it in a responsible way we need to you know uh, Draw the borders, but we can't ignore it. And I think uh, we need to prepare our students. Uh, they should be, you know, well prepared for a future where using these AI tools become a core part of their everyday work practices. So if you are not using it, you know, you will become less competent, you know, less efficient, and maybe less desirable. So yeah, we just need to figure out right ways to embrace it. I think that's the best possible way of putting it. And I think the real the call out for people to actually just take a wild leap into the random parts of the world that don't have AI, I like it. I mean, it's kind of becoming a part of everything and anything anyway. Might as well get involved. I like that. It's a good way to wrap up today's session. Okay, thank you so, so much. This is obviously a very, very high level dive into what AI is doing in couples therapy. But even the fact that we're talking about it is more information than I probably had at least before today. So I'm very, very thankful for you both of you to come in here and share all your experiences with it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for joining us. Bye, Cam, Have a good one.